0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: As a man, you know, you need to be able to say, hey, man, you got me. You got that one. You won. You don't want to have an excuse every time you lose. That's weak. There's something wrong with that because it's, it's almost like saying you, you don't know how to lose. You don't know how to take an L. As a man, you got to know how to take an L sometimes. Just say, hey, I, I messed up. I, was, I wasn't I on my game today. I didn't get that one today or whatever. Own it, and then do better next time. But don't be the kid that's always, or the person that's always somebody else. It's, another, it's somebody else's fault why I didn't get mine.
0: Everyone wants to prove to others how great they are. Even when we make mistakes, we tend to blame something or someone else and come up with justifications for why it happened. Pastor Bill explains in today's message how accepting responsibility for your errors can make you a better person. You might believe that when you make mistakes, it shows weakness to other people. However, God helps you change as a person when you begin to accept responsibility for your own mistakes. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 13. As he continues his message, fake it till you break it.
1: So the seven days uh, have passed and Samuel didn't make it back yet. And Saul is going to be disturbed by this. So it says, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattered from him. That's what he's going to be concerned about. Samuel's not here when he said he would be here. And the people are starting to scatter from me because I'm a bad leader. And they've been in thickets and holes and they're following me terrified. And now people are like, man, forget this. I'm leaving. And they're starting to depart from Saul. So he's like, I got to do something. I got to do. I got to do something to keep my leadership to keep. I'm the king. I got to do something. Um, and again, he does something else without prayer because they do need to offer sacrifices. But who is the only person that can offer sacrifice? You got to be what is the position of the person that offers sacrifice? A priest, not a king priest. Kings can't do this. Um, that's not your role. That's not your place. Um, and so, Saul, it says in verse um, the rest of verse 10, it said, now what happened is soon. I'm sorry. The rest of verse nine. Um, so so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. So Saul said, let me do this. The people are getting scattered from me. Get, bring me a burnt offering. y'all. And Saul did the priest's job and offered up a burnt offering. You can't serve God in a way that he has not prescribed. It is no longer worship when I worship God in a way that he has told me not to. This is prohibited. This is forbidden. So if you do for God what he forbids you to do, even if it seems worshipful, God's not receiving that as worship. That's disobedience. Saul will be told later. He'll do this multiple times. He'll be told another time when he does this, that obedience is better than what sacrifice. I'd rather you be obey me. Then offer sacrifice. I don't want your little lame sacrifice. I want obedience out of you. Give me obedience and a sacrifice, but not the other way around. And so here, Saul does it his way for his own reasons because he's afraid. So earlier, he faked like, you know, he took credit for what Jonathan did. Now he's over here faking like he's the priest. He ain't the priest, though. And God's not going to accept this or honor this. Notice this because he got impatient. Samuel didn't come when he had said he was going to come, Samuel ran a little bit late. It didn't wouldn't matter saying you never came. You were never you're not the priest. You just got to go without. It's, you got to go say a prayer. Go get under a rock somewhere. And so verse 10, it says now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. Soon as he finished messing up. I mean, he had he just waited a little bit longer. Samuel would have been there right on time. He could have offered up the offering. Everything could have been good. But he went and did it himself. And now as soon as he finished, Samuel rose up and Samuel's going to look and say, oh, man, what have you done? What have you done now? I want to share this because maybe some of us are impatient with the Lord. Um, not one. You know, we know what God wants for us, you know, but we don't want to wait. Uh, we don't want to wait for God to do it his way. And so we start to. Consider options that are outside of the will of God, outside of the word of God, that, that don't agree with what he's written to us. Be careful. It'd be as soon as you go attach yourself to the wrong thing, the right thing will come along and you'd be like, oh, man, now I messed up. I'm all attached. I've literally seen this happen. I've seen this with my own eyes. I've seen people get impatient, step out. Attach themselves to something that they shouldn't have. I've seen this with jobs. I've seen this with relationships. I've seen this with with homes. People that just, just I, I, I got to take it. I got to take this one right now. It's, it's available. now. I got to take it. And they take it. And um, I've seen people do that and then just lose everything. Take a home and a home outside the will of God. Home sounds like a great thing. And, um, and you gotta do this right now you got to take this. one. I'm so careful. I, I think people need to be careful as believers that you ever let someone pressure you. We're not to be anxious about anything. So if somebody press, my wife would tell you, if somebody presses, me, I need a decision today. The decision today is no, right? That's if you need to know today, no. That's that's my that is my that's my answer across the board. If somebody presses me, if you got to know right now, no. That's the answer. My kids can't pray. Dad, I, I want you need an answer right now. OK, because if you, if you need an answer right now, the answer is no. You know, if you want to wait, I'll get back to you and make a little more sense, you know. So um, but the thing is, I'm, I don't I'm not going to be pressed into uh, pressured or pressed into having to do something right now. And so because God says, don't be anxious, I'm not supposed to be pressed. I'm supposed to be able to pray and hear and and get direction from the Lord. And then I'll let you know what I'm doing. And so Saul here gets himself pressed. He didn't have to be. He could have just he could have just accepted reality. Man, guys, we're waiting till Samuel gets here, guys. I don't know, he's, he's a little bit late. We're going to just relax. Uh, he said he'd be here by the day. I mean, he's not here yet. We're going to wait. Uh, Samuel still got there. He just got there a little bit late. And Saul had made a, a huge error. This would cost him. This would cost him the kingdom at this point. We're going to see as we as we continue on that he didn't wait on the Lord. He did it his way. He stepped out in disobedience. And now God is going to discipline him for what he has done. It says in verse 11. Interesting that Saul was excited to get out there and greet him real quick. I wonder if he wanted to hear like, don't, 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 don't look, don't look, don't, don't, don't see that smoke arising out there. You know, it says in verse 11, and Samuel said, what have you done? Samuel said, oh, man, what have you done? Saul said, now I want you to notice this another flaw in Saul's character. He blames everybody else. Right. Instead of Saul saying, man, I got impatient. I was afraid. I was scared. I just ah," I want you to notice how how he deflects to so many people. Saul said, when I saw that the who the people were scattered from me, them people, they just started scattering. When I saw them people scattering like that, the people did that to me. And then he says, and that you did not come within the days appointed the people. And you, you said seven days, Samuel, you was late and the Philistines gathered together at Michmash. He didn't put on out three people other than him. He had only one sin here and it's the people and Samuel and the Philistines. Everybody's fault but mine. This is what separates Saul from David. We know David made some mistakes. Amen. He did some things that were wrong, but the Bible says about David that he was a man of the God's own heart. Right. Saul will see multiple times in his life where he messes up, gets called on the carpet. And he says, somebody else's fault. God's going to tell him, wipe out all the Amalekites, kill everybody and and don't keep any of the animals, kill everything. And then he's going to disobey, keep back Agag, the king and some good sheep. And Samuel rolls in and, and he said, Samuel, hey, brother, God bless you. Bless the Lord. I, Samuel, did you do all the Lord said? I did all. And Samuel said, what's the bleeding of sheep? I'm hearing bad. Why? There shouldn't be no sheep. They were all supposed to be dead, sir. And um, and this is what he says. The people, the people wanted to keep the people, them, them doggone people. Samuel, you know, I just this is so important. We want to be careful about shifting blame as believers. We want to get good at owning stuff. Uh, I used to teach this with my son. I would call these. I would teach my son when he was younger man lessons. If you ever go to the basketball park or you see you see kids playing games and and whenever they lose, it's somebody else. Oh, they was cheating or oh, they was this. I said man, I told my son, hey, here's a man lesson. As a man, you know, you need to be able to say, hey, man, you got me. You got that one. You won. You don't want to have an excuse every time you lose. That's weak. There's something wrong with that because it's, it's almost like saying you, you don't know how to lose. You don't know how to take an L. As a man, you got to know how to take an L sometimes. Just say, hey, I I messed up. I I wasn't on my game today. I didn't get that one today or whatever. Own it and then do better next time. But don't be the kid that's always or the person that's always somebody else. It's somebody else's fault why I didn't get mine or I didn't do what I, no, don't do that. That's a flaw in Saul's character here. He's pointing at everybody else. He should have just said, man, I got impatient. I messed up. Oh man, God forgive me. But he didn't. He didn't blame the people, and blame Samuel, and blame the Philistines. But nobody guilty here but him. Verse twelve. Then I said, this is Saul said he's talking to himself instead of talking to God. Then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled to offer a burnt offering. He says, I felt compelled. If I, if I were to spiritualize this, bring it up to our current day, this would be people say, I just felt led. If you ever feel led to do something that disagrees with scripture, don't do it. Right. You know, your flesh can make you feel led. anybody have had your flesh make you feel like you should want to do something. Yeah. My flesh has told me I should do things at times that I know I shouldn't do because the Bible says anybody ever felt like smacking somebody. Yeah. Right. But we got verses that say, you know, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You feeling like smacking them is you. you, you that's not that's not God leading you. Right. So he felt compelled but should you ever feel compelled to do something that's contrary to the word of God, you should not follow that unction to do so. It's not the leading of the spirit. It's the leading of our flesh. And so Saul felt compelled to do this. And so we did it. And so this is the first of several sins in Saul's life that results in him losing the throne of Israel. Some of the others we'll see later on. in, in chapter 14, he makes a rash vow. Later on, he spares Agag and the best of the spoils of the Amalekites. Uh, chapter 15, uh, that happens later on. After that, he, the murder of Ahimelech and 84 other priests. He murders priests. Um, they telling him what he don't want to hear. He many attempts on David's life. Uh, once he realizes that David is being raised up, this is God's guy. And he wants to take him out. And he tries multiple times, chucking spears and other things to take David's life unsuccessfully. Because the Lord was with David. And and lastly, at the very end of his life, uh, he goes and consults a witch of Endor, goes to consult the medium because God won't speak to him. Um, He has no more relationship with God. And so he's like, I need to hear something so bad. I'm going to go to the witch. I'm going to go. I don't care who talks. I need something. I need something spiritual so bad. He goes to get some demonic insight. And that's 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 about the last thing we see before he dies. Um, So Saul's life ends poorly. Makes you wonder as you go back. It's like, man, God, like why? And as you go back and wonder why we remember why. Why him in the first place? Because the people said they wanted a king. God said, There you go. I'm going to give you one. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you the people's choice. Saul. And this is this is the best man has to offer, which is not very good, <laughs> not very good at all. Um, I think we can see that at this point. And so uh, let's move on. Now, it says in verse 13 and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be the commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. So Samuel tells Saul right now, you're done, bro. You didn't do what God commanded you to do. You've done foolishly. I love that Samuel is just a straight shooter. He's a man of God. They're not mincing words. He says, Saul, you messed up, buddy. You've done foolishly. You didn't keep the commandment of the Lord. And look at what he says. God would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now because of what you did, um, you're not going to be the king anymore. God has sought a man after his own heart. And I think those words are going to plague Saul the rest of his life. Um, that God's picked somebody else, a man after his own heart. And when he starts to see God's hand on David, um, David have his first couple battles. And it says the little maidens, the women that come in singing, Saul slain his thousands and David, his tens of thousands. And Saul would hear that and probably just, oh, just be burning up inside, you know, hearing them cheer of David. And um, but he's told here, I think it's almost a punishment that God would let him live so much longer in the position of king. Knowing that you're not the guy I'm choosing somebody else. And I wonder if that's not part of his punishment. You're going to stay in the position. You're going to be in the position, but you're going to know the whole time I got another guy that's going to do it. You're no longer my guy. And he's going to be told this. This is not the last time he'll be told this. And so and look at what was wrong with Saul was that he did not do what God commanded him. And beyond not doing what God commanded, he had also done what God had commanded him not to do. Uh, he had been disobedient to the Lord. That's what disqualified him. Verse 15, it says, then Samuel rose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin and Saul numbered the people present with him about 600. I want you to note the number dwindling uh, or he had thousands earlier. Now, just about just some hundreds, but 600 folk left behind him. Saul, Jonathan, his son and the people present with him remained in Gibeah of Benjamin. But the Philistines encamped in Michmash. Then raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned onto the road of Orpha uh, to the land of Shual. Another company turned to the road of Beth Haran and another company turned to the road on the border that overlooks the valley of Zoboim toward the wilderness. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel for the Philistines had said least The Hebrews make swords or spears. And this is the last way that the Philistines dominate Israel. They make sure that Israel is clean. The Israelites have no blacksmiths among them. You needed a blacksmith to take metal and and, sharpen swords and make it into weapons. And so they had the Philistines had the Israelites had to go to the Philistines for their plowing utensils to get them sharpened up. Um, the Philistines said, "We'll take care. of You guys come to us when you need that stuff done. We'll set your plow. We'll we'll set. We'll, we get all your stuff squared away. But y'all don't get to have swords or spears. No weapons. Now we know throughout Scripture that the sword is symbolic of what, the word, and what the enemy does here to weaken Israel. Uh, we know that the enemy does in, in in our lives to weaken Christians. For them, no sword meant." No weapon meant they were weak, vulnerable. For you and I, no sword, no, no word of God means you ain't got no weapon, makes you weak and vulnerable. My, my, my pastor used to say, uh, seven days makes one week, right? Seven days make one, W E E K. And he say, seven days without the word makes one week, W E A K. Um, and just without God's word over a period of time, you'll be spiritually weakened. And softened up, and so, so we want to be careful that we're in God's Word on our own daily reading, uh, that we're in Bible study, like we're doing. We're taking in God's Word. I, I, I want to be strengthened spiritually. I want to be fed. I want to be nourished. I want to be brought into remembrance. I want, when something happens in my life, I want Scripture to just come to my remembrance. And as my good friend Pastor Clint would always say, the the Spirit can't bring to your remembrance what you haven't remembered in the first place. If you ain't sown no word in, uh, when battle time comes, the Holy Spirit can't draw back which you never put in there, but you will be amazed at how when the war kicks on, that if that you've sown God's word in faithfully over years of your life, when some obscure passage or story or something, when needed, Holy Spirit, will just bring it back up when you need it, right at that moment, boom, it'll come. It'll be right what you need. It'll be, it'll be a word for your situation. And so um, I need the word. Sometimes I need the word just so I make the right decisions. I'm you know sifting through things and it's the word that kind of can set me straight. It says in Hebrews, that the word is uh, alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, divides even between soul and spirit and bones and marrow. But get this. The word, it says it's a discerner between the thoughts and the intents of your heart. Now, the Bible says who can know your own heart? Your heart's deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I don't even know my own heart. But God says, but the word, Bill, is a discerner between the thoughts and intents. The word will discern the thoughts and the intents of your own little wicked heart. As you just spend time in the word, it'll reveal you. It'll expose you. Um, And I want the word expose me to me before I go out there and mess up. Amen. Um, And so we want to be people of the word. Here's the most important thing with God's word. Knowing it is important, but doing it is most important. Some people know a lot of Bible. Right. They got a lot of verses memorized. They know a lot of stories. They're, They're familiar with the Bible, but they're not surrendered to the Bible. That's not the goal for us. I don't want to know it uh, in my head. I want to know it in my heart. That's what that's what God is after. God's like, I want to sow the word of God into your heart. Your heart is the soil. The word is the seed. and I want to sow it into your heart that it would bear fruit, life transforming fruit in your life. And so we want to always look to the word as something that should transform us. God, I shouldn't be able to say the same. I shouldn't read anything in the scripture and say, yeah, but I know God says, but never. God says, so then, that's it. That's the answer. That's my answer. That's what I'm going on, what He says. Um, the word should be, it, it, it's authoritative because these aren't man's words, these are God's words. Amen? So we want to read them with that authority. God, this is you giving us this so that you're speaking to us. You're revealing to us who you are, what you love, what you hate, what you expect. And so as I get to know the word, I get to know God. And I know what He loves and I know what He hates. I know what's okay and I know what's not okay. And I want to live by this. If I do, that's how we stay close to the Lord. That's how we stay in step with God. That's how we stay in, in right standing with the Lord. That's part of why we have the word of God. So that's all a side thing for them. There was physical sores were missing. Therefore, the, the Israelites were weakened and vulnerable to their enemies. I'm just making the point that when God's people are away from his word, uh, we'll be weakened before our enemies, too. We won't have. Power. We won't have wisdom. We won't know what to do. We don't. We won't know what to stand on. For those that are weak in faith, Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So listen to the word of God. When you're in the car, listen to it. Um, put it in your iPod or whatever. You know, just in any ways you can take it in, take in God's word to strengthen your faith. It'll be good for you. Um, and so moving on, we'll finish the story here in verse twenty. Twenty to twenty-three. It says, "But all the but the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And the charge for a sharpening uh, was a pim for the plowshares, the mattock, the forks, the axes, uh, and to set the points of the goads. So it came about on the day of battle that there were neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan." But they were found with Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the garrison of the Philistine went out to the pass of Mi'kmash. And so all the men, they got all these soldiers. No wonder they're afraid. They got nothing to fight with. They got a weak leader and they got no weapons. Um, They should be. They should be afraid. Somebody should have said, man, we we got to go teach somebody how to sneak and make a sword or a weapon of some sort. Um, they were weakened before their enemies, and they had no they had no means to fight. So, as we finish this little sad chapter uh, with with Saul, fake it till you break it. He didn't broke it already, right? He pretended that he went to war when he didn't, and you know because he had he, he didn't have courage uh, to actually go out. He blew the trumpet while his son went out and attacked. Um, then, when it was time when he needed to wait on God, he didn't have patience to wait on God. Fear. Moved him. The fear of people leaving him and scattering from him had him step into a position that he was not. He pretended to be a priest, stepped into a role that was not his. And that brought stiff and swift discipline to his life. Would have been better for Saul if this chapter would have started off with Saul praying. Saul cried out to the Lord absent from the chapters. It seems like when Saul is hearing from God is when Samuel is telling him, bro, you done messed up. Bro, this oh man, you know, and it could be the other way around. Samuel is God's spokesman to say, bro, that's not what God that's, You're doing the wrong thing. But all this could be avoided if Saul would be crying out to the Lord for himself. That's what appears to be absent at this point. He's not a man who, with a heart after God. Again, I contrast what I'm reading here to what we'll read later with David and David over. I mean, David, when you think you will read David's life and think he don't even need to pray. David just whooped him over here, whooped him over there, whooped him over here. And then he, he goes behind here and the enemies are coming. And you think David is just going to whoop them again. And David's like, no, hold on. inquired of the Lord. God, what, shall we shall we go? Are you going with this? Do we go get this? And the Lord's like, yes, I'm with you. Go get him. All right. Then finish that battle over here. Somebody else turn up. They, shall we go, Lord? Yes, but this time go behind the mulberry tree. God, give him some special instruction, but just a pattern of seeking the Lord. If you leave with anything, if you're going to grasp something, uh, in addition to not being afraid and not walking in fear, but walking in faith, be a person of prayer. That'll be why you can walk in faith, because God, I got it from you, because sometimes the thing we get from God is scary. But God, you said, and I trust you and we can walk in faith in his word. We don't just put faith in the air. Faith ain't just in nothing. Faith is not in what I want. Faith is always attached to God. It's either faith in God or faith in what God said, faith in God's word. It's not just faith in what I want or what I hope. Faith in God.
0: We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're currently in the book of 1 Samuel, Many of the childhood Bible stories stem from this book. David is a main character, and he came from humble means. He was a simple shepherd boy, but God had great things in mind for him. He was a musician also, and this served him well, as he was able to help King Saul. But more than these occupational type of skills, David had a heart for God like no other. God refers to David as a man after his own heart. What a compliment coming from the very creator of everything. This doesn't mean that David was perfect. As we all know, he wasn't. But his heart was continually coming back to God, seeking help, asking for refuge, and coming back with a repentant heart. This is the type of heart God wants from each of us. Do you find yourself looking up to David and his character? If you'd like to learn more about David in 1 Samuel, Feel free to listen to more teachings from this series on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. That's calvaryinglewood.org. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Our time with you today is about up, but we encourage you to keep reading and studying this eventful book of the Bible. We're so grateful you took the time to listen today. And Pastor Bill will be back with more in the coming edition of 1 Samuel. Until then, keep your head in the Word, and your heart close to God. Then, make sure to come back for another insightful edition of A Transforming Word.